0: The John Morris Show, Episode Fifty Nine. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother! You are now listening to the John Morris Show. My name is John Morris, Army veteran turned freelance web developer, and each week I bring you a fresh look into the latest news, advice and next steps for the self-made web designer and developer to help you reach your dream of coding for a living faster. Thanks for giving me some of your time today. Now, let the episode begin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Complete Web Developer Course by Rob Percival on udemy.com, where you can learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, mobile apps, and more inside one convenient course so you can shortcut the time it takes to start earning your full-time income as a web developer. John Morris show listeners can get an exclusive 85% discount on the course by visiting johnmorrisonline.com/cwdc. That's johnmorrisonline.com/cwdc. Well, I hope you're fired up this week cuz I am. <laughs> I've got a lot I want to get through in the show today, so I hope you're excited. I hope you're ready to roll, and you're looking forward to this episode. So, welcome back to the John Morris Show. I am your host, John Morris, and in this episode, I have a number of things that I want to cover. So, one of the things I'm going to talk, be talking about coming up, I'm going to talk a little bit about hate mail. I had somebody ask me about. The kind of hate mail I get because I brought it up in the past. So I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit because it's funny to me. I'm also going to talk about the sad state of web development. You may have seen this article over on medium.com. It's an article that kind of made the rounds recently and I want to talk through that just a little bit. I'm also going to talk about the asking mindset in a video from Derek Halpern that I'm gonna encourage you guys to watch called How to Meet New People. And this is something that I experienced myself quite a bit and wanna maybe give you some advice from the other side of the equation. Also in the text section, how to use white space in your design. So I'm gonna go, sh- go through why white space is so critical and then some of the ways that you can kind of systematically go through and adding the white space in your designs. In the freelance section, we're going to talk about how to get back in the freelance groove after the holidays. If you're like me, we're all kind of feeling uh, feeling the blues a little bit, I guess, from the holiday season. Not necessarily the blues, but trying to get back in the swing of things. And so I'm going to talk about some things that you can do to get back in the groove. Again, uh, uh, referencing an article that I read that I thought was good on that, and then some things I want to add to that. And then, as always, we'll get to our Q&A. So that's what's coming up in the show. Before I get into all that, though, I was asked, I would mentioned in the past that I get hate mail quite a bit, and I do. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Uh, I have a mailing list of about 27,000 people, which isn't necessarily huge, but it's enough people that anytime you send an email, you're going to get a decent amount of hate mail no matter what it is. Now the fun- before I get into this I-, I should note I get plenty of positive email as well but I I do go through my hate mail which I think is different than a lot of people. And I I get I get some hate mail and the funny thing is is it's it doesn't matter what I send out. I could send an email that was like a ticket for a free million dollars and it could be 100% legit and I would get somebody who would send me hate mail. So I just find it kind of funny. But anyway, I mentioned that in the past and I had somebody ask me, well, what kind of hate mail do you get? And so I want to talk about this and I don't just want to talk about this because it's funny to talk about. There's, there's a point here. There's there's something to illustrate here about putting yourself out there. And so I want to talk through that. So here's an example of one piece of mail that I got. And I'm just going to go through the one because I think it helps illustrate the the point the best. So this starts off, (laughs) this is funny. I want to tell you now this is funny. So it says, good job being lame at life. (laughs) Great rep for yourself. Also, one of the emails you sent to me has a picture at the bottom that looks like a mugshot. (laughs) Like you have good Like you have good pictures, then you have that horribly crappy picture. That's not the word they use, but we'll use that word. Horribly crappy picture making you look bad. Probably hacked by someone and they changed it because I doubt you would have put it there. So that's an example of the type of hate mail that I get. Again, I get lots of positive email as well. Now. The reason i bring bring this up is it is funny, but there's there's a point here so and this is the thing that I always say about this kind of thing. It doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter what kind of email I send. I always get hate mail every email I get hate mail It doesn't matter what it is to a you know a tutorial that could be the best tutorial ever. I get hate mail so It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter how good it is. You're always going to have someone there to criticize. There will always be someone there to criticize. Now, there's also going to be people there to praise you as well. I get plenty of positive email, like I've said. So I actually read quite a few of the nasty emails I get. I go through them specifically. And from what I've gathered, this is different from a lot of other people who do what I do. YouTubers, online marketers, web developers, etc. A lot of them don't even look at it. And they do it just simply because they don't want the negativity in their life. And I and I I respect that. I can appreciate that. If you know that that kind of thing is going to get to you, then it's probably a good idea not to go through it because there's definitely some things that I get that uh if that if if those things could ever get to me, they would. But Uh, I have a little bit different approach. First off, I could care less. I, I, I mean, seriously, I could care less what anyone outside of my family has to think about me. I really, I just really, it's this thing I have. I don't know what it is, but I just could care less. So I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing it. I feel, I know where I'm at in terms of what I'm doing in terms of giving value, uh, and so forth. And so I use my own judgment and rely on my own judgment. Now, I do take, obviously, I look at all of it and take it as feedback and factor that into the equation, but there's no one email someone's going to write me that's going to just make me completely change everything that I'm doing because I know what I'm doing. So, uh, again, I go through it all a I found a lot of the people, a lot of my peers don't. And some of the hate mail is a lot worse than this. This was actually fairly tame for the kinds of hate mail that I get. And this this mail or this piece of mail, this is a perfect example of why I do go through it. Because despite all the personal attacks, there's actually a valid point in here. And so that valid point is my old photo... That was still at the bottom of the email. That he was referring to. It does look like a mugshot. You've probably seen it. And when you look at it. It's an old old picture. And <laughs> I don't know why I used it. I just thought it was fine for a lot of years. But if you look at it. It looks like a mugshot. And I actually about a year ago or so. Had changed it out. On all my social profiles. And everything else. But I forgot that it was at the bottom of my, of my emails. And so when. This person sent me this message just here recently, really. I realized, oh, that's still at the bottom of my emails. So I went into my email program and I changed it. And that's the point. Is you're going to have criticism and you're going to have praise. You can't let yourself get emotionally attached to it. You have to simply look at it for what it is Find if there's anything valid in it. Pull that out of it and disregard disregard the rest. I mean, this guy's opinion of me, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing to me. But little does he know that he actually helped me improve my overall system. So thank you, Mr. Hater. You've made me better at what I'm doing. Again, it's a small thing. But you've actually helped me get better. And... <laughs> I mean that in a little bit of a snarky way, but also sincerely. So that's what you have to do. There will always be critics. There will always be praise. You can't bite into either side too much. Take what's valid, assess it for yourself, and pull it out. Now, most of the stuff you're going to get, there's going to be nothing valid in it. And you just simply regard it, disregard it and move on. Or it's a critique on something that you're doing that you know That you're doing and you're doing it for a specific reason. For example, about once a month or so, I promote different promotions that are going on for different products, whether that's Udemy or some of the other stuff that's going on. Now, I try to promote what are really, really good deals, but I know it doesn't matter what it is. The fact that I'm promoting something just makes people mad, right? And so I get tons and tons of people say to me, quit sending me this spam, quit sending me this, these promotions, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, I get it, but I'm, I mean, that's, I'm doing that on purpose. There's a reason why I'm doing that. I have bills to pay, right? So there's, there's feedback like that, that you're going to get that is valid maybe, but you know that that you're doing that and you're just doing it anyway, right? You're doing it because you you have to and it doesn't matter how you did it. People are going to get upset no matter what. So you just have to 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 look at it, assess it for yourself, take what's valid and and move on. And you can actually most of the upgrades that I make to anything that I do comes from my hate mail. So that's why I go through it and that's why I just kind of chuckle at it because little do they know they're trying to belittle me and in fact they're helping me get better and they're helping me upgrade the systems and processes that I use. So thank you. All right. That'll wrap it up for the opening here. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the sad state of web development. That's coming up in the very next segment. Later on, we'll get into the asking mindset, how to use white space in your designs, getting back in the freelance group after the holidays. And of course, answering your web development questions. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Ebates, where you can earn cash back on your online purchases from major retailers like Amazon, eBay, Walmart.com, and more. John Morris Show listeners can get your free account by visiting johnmorrisonline.com slash ebates. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I'm your host, John Morris. Morris, in this segment, the sad state of web development. Now, this is an article that came out January 10th over on Medium.com from a gentleman named Drew Hamlet and kind of took off a little bit. I'm looking here at the page and it's been recommended now by 2,977 people as of the recording of this show. So kind of took off a little bit, obviously resonated with a lot of people. And the main thrust of the argument or the of the article, and I'll link to the article over on the show notes page for this episode, com slash 59. You can find that. But the gist of the article had to do with essentially frameworks and tools all the tools that are now out there for web development so let me give you a a few snippets from the article here and then we could talk about it so he said 2015 is when web development went to crap again he didn't use that word but he said web development used to be nice you could fire up a text editor and start creating javascript and css files he says you can absolutely still do this. That has not changed, so everything I'm about to say can be invalidated by saying that. However, the web, specifically the JavaScript slash Node community, has created some of the most com- complicated, convoluted, over-engineered tools ever conceived. And then, so and then through the article, essentially goes through and talks about a lot of the different tools uh, related to Node.js. Uh, and all the different things that are out there that are tools for accomplishing web design and web development. Post CSS, Babel, uh, React, which is probably a fairly well-known one, and so forth. So you know, he talks about problems with dependencies and just the over-engineering of it all. So it's worth a read, especially if you're into that that stuff. Now, I wanted to talk about this because... I have to admit, there's a little bit of me that's like, "I told you so." Now, granted, I didn't tell anybody, so, but I've kind of sat back and looked at these. Now, you have to understand, I've been at this for a long time, and I know a lot of other people have too. But you know, I started web doing web design, web development back around 2004, and the tools that existed. It's just interesting to watch because the tools that existed back then, there were a lot of people that at that time who said those tools and those languages and so forth are the future of web development. And I can tell you a lot of those tools don't exist anymore. So I'm always a little skeptical when some new thing comes out and somebody gets really excited about it and they say it's the future of web development and if you don't learn how to do this then that's it you you know you're you're not you're going to be out as a web developer now don't get me wrong there are things that are that way right when the whole web 2.0 thing happened and you saw the rise of the things that we take for granted now like php <laughs> and server-side scripting and JavaScript and so forth. That's here to stay and that's been here to stay and that did disrupt a lot of people, including myself. But there was a lot of other things that existed at that time that everybody thought was going to be the new big thing and turned out that wasn't the case. So again, I'm always a little skeptical when these things come out and to be honest with you, I really haven't a lot of this stuff, you know, you don't hear me talk. You don't hear me talk about it a lot. You don't hear me talk a lot about Node and uh, AngularJS JS and all these other things that are out there. Uh, you don't see me doing tutorials on it. I just don't talk about it much. You know why? Because I don't use it. I don't. I haven't learned any of that stuff. And the reason is, is I'm not positive it's going to be here. A year or two from now. I'm not convinced of that. Now. Again. For everything that I say like that. There's somebody out there who's going to tell me. I'm stupid and they're going to tell me why. They're going to explain it to me. I'm telling you right now. I've heard it a hundred times. I've heard it a hundred times before on things. That. Have. Just no longer exist. Now that doesn't mean that you're not right. Right. You might be right. But I'm going to wait and see. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time learning something that I personally am not convinced is going to be around a few years from now. So, this is one of the things, as a web developer, here's, the, here's why this is important to you. Here's why you should care. This isn't just me saying I told you so. Because... There's already enough out there for you to learn, right? The new technology just comes at us so fast, it's impossible to keep up with absolutely everything. And so as a web developer, as a web designer, you have to learn how to filter things. You have to learn how to trust your own judgment. And you have to learn how to admit when you're wrong and how to recover quickly, which I promise you there's something right now that's happening, some new technology, some tool, some framework, whatever, that I'm overlooking that a couple years from now, it'll become obvious that this is going to become a major player and I'm going to have to do some catching up. But that's why it's also important that you understand how to teach yourself. That's why it's important that you don't get so wrapped up in, oh, I have to learn everything without a teacher and without a mentor. All the things that I talk about, uh, about how to learn, it's not just about learning the initial things that you need to learn. It's about being able to also learn things on the fly, new things that come out and being able to adjust to those things. Now, again, I talk a lot about trying to predict the future or look at the future in terms of what's coming and trying to find gaps and so forth. I talk a lot about mobile and some of the things that could be gaps that if you learn them ahead of time, that you can create an advantage for yourself. The thing, what I'm talking about, they're not contradictory. It's all about filtering. It's about looking at the landscape and getting an idea of what's going to be around and what's not. What you're convinced is here to stay And what you're convinced isn't. The reason I talk about mobile so much is because I'm convinced, along with a lot of other people. It's not some great insight of mine, right? But I'm convinced for myself, my own judgment, it's here to stay and it's only going to grow. So that's why I talk about it a lot. And I talk about some of the things that might be opportunities. And so you have to learn how to filter and discard the things that for now you don't think are that important and find the things where you think you might have an opportunity and jump on them and see what you can do. And then be able to assess and adjust quickly and realize, okay, I was wrong about that. That thing's not an opportunity. Let's get out of that. This thing over here now is showing promise. Let's try that. Oh, boom, hit. And when you hit, it can be big. You can really have a huge advantage. So this just... For me, and you can maybe call it self-serving, but whatever. For me, it it reinforces that approach. You can't learn it all. You don't need to learn it all. Half of this stuff's not going to be here a year or two from now. So, look at the things that have been around for a long time. Look at the things that, to this day, power major portions of the web. That's why I talk about, you know, it's funny among developers. I have family who work in the network side of, you know, of the web at ISP and so forth. And they have coworkers who I've hung out and so forth. So we're all a bunch of kind of tech heads hanging hanging out, right? And they ask what I do, and I say I work with WordPress. And you get the snicker, right? Or I, I work with PHP, and you get the snicker. Oh, you're a WordPress guy, right? Oh, you're a PHP guy, right? Anybody can do that. But guess what powers most of the web? Guess what's been here for a lot longer than any of this other stuff? Guess what's probably going to be here five, ten years from now? The thing you have to understand, this if there's one thing that you could get from this entire segment is this, it's not always the best tool that wins out. It's not. That's just the way the world works. It's not always the best tool that wins out. It's the one that everybody uses. It's the one that somehow gets adopted for whatever reason. It here's. I'm gonna link to this. Here's a good. Here's a good illustration of this. I won't belabor this point anymore. But I read an article one time a, a while back about the image tag in HTML, the IMG tag, and how it came to be the tag that we use for images. Because when browsers were first being developed, they had to decide what tags would mean what, how they were going to render different tags. And there were a couple different browsers out at that time, and they all had different ideas about about what we should use as an image tag. And one of them just said, well, I'm going to go with this for now and shipped their browser rendering that tag and they were all talking to each other and we have that tag to this day. Now, if you, here's the thing, if you look at the options that they were talking about, some of the other ones were better. They were, they were better, but he shipped and people started using it and it stuck. That's the way the world works. It's not always the best tool that wins out. It's the one that, for whatever reason, gets adopted. And PHP powers a large part of the web. WordPress powers a large part of the web. So snicker all you want. But five, ten years from now, those two things are likely to be around. And the rest of this stuff, probably not. All right, like I said, I'll link to this article and I'll link to that other article on the image tag. It's really fascinating uh, to read through it. Over on the show notes page, I'll link to those over on the show notes page for this episode, johnmorrisonline.com slash 59. Coming up in the next segment, I'm gonna talk about the asking mindset, a dangerous mindset in a video from Derek Halpern of socialtriggers.com which I find hilarious and true, that addresses this mindset, and that video is called How to Meet New People. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about that, give you the links for that stuff, coming up in the next segment. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. John Morris here for the Complete Web Developer Course by Rob Percival on udemy.com. Now here's the deal with this. Do you ever get frustrated constantly searching the internet for tutorials to learn how to code? Are you worried that learning how to code is taking longer than it should? Do you just wish you could learn everything in one convenient place so you can get on with earning your living as a web developer? Well, that is exactly why Rob created the Complete Web Developer course. Everything you need to know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, JQuery, PHP, MySQL, WordPress, APIs, and mobile apps in one convenient course. And you know it works because Rob has over 183,000 students and the most five-star ratings of any course on Udemy. Now here's the best part. John Morris Show listeners can get an exclusive, and this is just for you guys only, an exclusive 85% discount on the course simply by visiting johnmorrisonline.com CWDC. So look. Quit pulling your hair out trying to find good tutorials on the web. Do the smart thing and hit up my man Rob's complete web developer course with the slick 85% discount right now. Visit johnmorrisonline.com slash C W D C and you'll be all set. Welcome back to the John Morris show on johnmorrisonline.com. This segment, we're going to talk about what I call the asking mindset and a video from Derek Halpern of SocialTriggers.com about how to meet new people. Now, this is a video that he created. This he he actually created this several years ago. Looks like uh just just a little under three years ago. And I remember watching it at the time and thought it was hilarious and true. And for me in those three years, you know, things have really uh taken off for me and so I'm experiencing this a lot more, and I see it every single day, and it's something that I kind of want to address, not not just from, you know, for my own sake, but I imagine that the people who are sending me these sending me these kind of emails are probably sending to um, to a lot of other people, and if you're doing this, look, this isn't. This isn't a, you're a bad person, you're an idiot, whatever, you're lame, whatever, that kind of thing. He has a way of cracking jokes, but I've actually met Derek in person, and trust me, he's a he's a really sincere guy. He He's running a YouTube channel that he has to try and get attention. So sometimes the way to do that is be a little aggressive. But I'm going to link you to this video. It's called How to Meet New People. And you can find the link over at johnmorrisonline.com slash 59, which will be the show notes page for this episode where you can find all the links for everything. And in it, he talks about how there's a there's a right way and a wrong way to meet new people who can help you with your business and your career. And so I get a lot of people who email me on a daily basis asking for help with their code, with their freelance career, just advice in general, all sorts of things asking me for help and as he makes the point in the video it's a really bad way to start off a relationship. If you step back and think about it you're just now introducing yourself to someone and meeting them for the first time and 20 seconds in you're asking for something. Now flip that and imagine if it was you. And within, you just met someone, they're all real nice, and then they ask you for something that's going to take a decent amount of your time, right? It's not something small. uh, And they're asking for it within 30 seconds of meeting you. I think most people would understand that that's probably not the best way to go about meeting new people. Now, that gets amplified when you're talking about someone who maybe has a larger audience or following and probably gets that kind of email or that kind of question on a regular basis. I mean, I can tell you from my from my own personal experience, I mean, it's I probably four or five emails a day like that at least, sometimes even more, mixed in with all the other email that I get. Uh, not to mention all the things that I have to actually do <laughs> for my work. So, even if I wanted to to help, uh, you know, even if I wanted to go through all of that, there's no way that I could. Uh, and it it is a little bit weird to have someone who you've never met email you and ask you for help out of blue. Now, I will say. At the end of every show, I tell tell you, if you have a question, send it to me at my email address, right? Or tweet tweet me over on Twitter, whatever. But that's under the understanding that I'm going to answer it on the show. And I could tell you the emails I get, that's not the understanding. There's no way that I could cover those questions on the show. And that's not what they're asking for. I get people who almost demand that I jump on Skype with them for an hour right then and there. Or that I go through this long code that they have and find the error for them. And it's just a really bad way to go about meeting people. And I can tell you that most of the time, again... I read every single one and pull out what I can and what I can use for tutorials or for the show or whatever. I do do that. But most of those emails don't get a response because I just, I flat out don't have time. And I can tell you what happens when I respond and say, Hey, sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you with this. I just don't have the time to do it. 90% of the time I get a nasty email back. So I just, I stopped replying to those emails because it just goes nowhere. So if you're wanting to get someone's attention, if you're wanting to meet new people, asking something from them in the first 30 seconds or minute of meeting them is not the way to go about it. Now, on this video, he tells you he goes through the right way to do it. And so what he says, and I agree with, is that if you want, if you really want to get to know somebody, and especially if you are looking to find someone who can help you with your career, your business, maybe a mentor or you know someone who you maybe can just ask questions of every now and again. If that if you really want to do that, the best way to approach them is to lead in giving them something, right? Now again, flip that if it were you. If you had two people, one approached you and said, "Here, Help me with this thing and asked you for something right off the bat. And the other one came to you and said, here, here's the. I noticed you were having this issue and here's this thing that will help you solve it. Right. Which one are you more likely to pay attention to and respond to? It's just human nature. Now you can say I'm an a-hole or Derek is whatever. But I promise you 90, that's how 90% of people think. And so if you want to get someone's attention, the way to do it is to to lead with something. Now, as he mentions in the video, you don't just want to ask them what they need help with. Because again, when you do that, you're putting it on them to come up with something for you to do for them, right? And again, you're probably not going to get a great response from that. Instead, you need to look at what they're doing and... Get an idea of what you think they might need, and then go ahead and do it or create it or whatever, and then approach them and say, "Here, I saw this problem. Let me help you fix that." Or maybe not create it, whatever it is at first, but approach them and say, "Hey, I saw, you know, you were doing X, Y, Z, and I think you could do, you know, you could get better results by doing A, B, C, and you know, I could do that for you, you know, no problem, right? This is." A similar approach that uh, a guy named Ramit Sethi advises for freelancers is you know, instead of going to someone that you want to land as a client and asking for their business right off the bat, go to them and provide them with a solution. Like, For example, a local business. You look at their website and you, you see that they have some sort of issue on their website. Go ahead and figure out the fix and approach them and say, hey, I have a fix for this issue that you have on your website. I can go ahead. If you want, I can go ahead and do that for you. And by the way, I'll do it for free. No big deal, right? And you do that one small fix for them. Now you've started the relationship. You've started the conversation. And then maybe down the line, you can get to where you could do a whole redesign of their site and get paid for it and get them as a client, an ongoing client. So, And you have to be strategic about that kind of thing. But the the important point is is that when you meet new people, you don't want to just be asking for something from them right off the bat. It's much better to give them something right off the bat because they're a lot more likely to respond, say thank you, and follow up with, hey, is, is there anything I can do for you that was really cool? Is there something I can do for you? And so in the end, you're going to get where you want to get right you're going to want you're you're probably going to get to where they're going to help you with whatever it is but you got to you got to lead with giving them something first and i mean this is the this is the approach that most people who do what i do including derek and a lot of other people like him that's the approach they take with their businesses right i mean i have over 200 videos on youtube where people can watch those videos absolutely free. I have a number of courses on my website that are absolutely free. So most people come to what I do through that, and so I've given them a bunch of stuff before I ever ask for anything in return. So that's the approach to take. If you really wanna find someone who can help you with your career, with your business, then, and you really know that that's someone that you wanna connect with, that's the way to go about doing it, is to lead with value, whether that's through an email, whether that's in person at some sort of conference, whether it's hopping on a phone and making a phone call, whatever it is, that's the approach to take. All right, coming up next in the text section, we're going to talk about how to use white space in your designs, why it's so critical, and then the kind of process that you can follow to be able to do it on a consistent basis inside of your designs. And then I'm going to point you to a tutorial that goes very, very in-depth, more than I could ever go into in this podcast. I'm going to point you to a tutorial that goes in-depth with white space. So that's coming up in the next segment. Also later in the freelance section, how to get back in the freelance groove after the holidays. And, of course, we'll wrap it up, as we always do, with our weekly Q&A. You're listening to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, everybody. As you probably know, I constantly harp on using content to help you grow your audience and build your credibility as a web developer, but your web presence is nothing without a great hosting provider. So if you haven't yet, get your website up and running with a fast, reliable, and well-supported web host, Bluehost, for less than 6 bucks a month. You can check it out and get Bluehost's best price over at johnmorrisonline.com slash bluehost. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I'm your host, John Morris. And in this section, let's we're gonna talk a little bit about how to use white space in your design. So first off, let me talk a little bit about why white space is so critical. Now, the analogy I'd like for you to think of is your own home. And think of your own home being cluttered and how the kind of impression That would give if you had someone coming over to your house or just for you being in your house on a daily basis, how that would feel to you. Most people wouldn't like a cluttered house. And so if you reverse that and you have a uncluttered house that has a lot of open space where it's not completely all filled in in every spot, That has a more elegant, clean, refreshing, pleasing feeling to it. And it's the same with your web designs. White space helps make your site feel less cluttered. And white space in your text helps make... Your text more readable. And so, what most people do is they associate elegance and simplicity with white space. Now, they may not explicitly recognize that it's the white space, but when you add white space, it will often come across to them, or they'll feel it's more elegant, they'll feel it's more simple, refined, refreshing, easy to use. So, if you've ever had a client tell you that they want something simple, they want clean, is clean is probably the word that clients use most often. I want something clean. That's white space. That's a proper use of white space. Uh, On the flip side, cluttered is associated with cheap uh, or old, and those are all. Things that you don't want with your web designs. Now, it's a fine line, right? Because you can't just have huge white spaces to where nothing fits on the screen. Especially in this day and age of mobile, you really have to be cognizant that you're not putting so much white space in that people have to just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll in order to actually consume the content. So it's a balance It's a fine line, but a lot of new developers, I would say, I get a lot of developers that send me their websites and and so forth, and I look at them, and if there was one thing that seems to be consistent across most of them for new web developers is adding in, they could all stand to have a little bit more white space. So if you go to one of those kind of pre-made designs on, maybe it's a WordPress theme or a wrap bootstrap or one of the other many web design templates that are out there that are kind of the full screen kind of hero unit. They all look really nice and elegant. What you'll notice about them is there's a lot of white space or negative space. The space doesn't actually have to be white, but uh, it can be, you know, it's space that doesn't have text or imagery in it. It's that negative space around the margin, the padding, et that's the That's the thing that stands out to you. That's what makes it feel elegant to you is the proper use of that negative space. So how do you do that? I think that's the big question. So first and foremost, it is a bit of a feel. And this is something having done this for a long time and having to go through this process, uh, I started out not using enough white space. Then kind of went the other way where I was using too much white space and clients would be like, okay, there's literally nothing on the page except white space, right? Uh, Not that bad, but that was essentially what they were saying. And so I had to rein it back over and you you kind of find a balance. You also, as you do this, you're going to develop a perspective of your own and don't be afraid to own that. You do not have to be 100% subservient to what your client wants. It's okay to be an artist and have a perspective and have a a look and feel that you're really good at and own that and communicate that up front. But when a client pushes you on that to be like, look, this is what I do. You know, I know a photographer back from where I used to live in Iowa and she's really, really good photographer, really well known, gets a ton of business She, all of her photos are really bright. They just, if you look at them, that's the one thing that really stands out. They just, they're really bright and they just pop out at you. And that's because she does it on purpose and she owns it. That's, she tells people, this is what I do. This is why you come to me because I create this kind of photo. And she owns it and people love her for it. So don't be afraid to own that. Don't be afraid to own that that look and feel and where you kind of figure out, you know, the balance between white space and so forth. But it, so it is always going to be a little bit of a feel. However, there, there's a process that kind of a pattern that I follow when I do it. So I start off with text because at the end of the day, most websites are going to revolve around text, or you know maybe videos a little bit, but generally the overall look and feel is gonna revolve around some sort of text. So I always start with the text, and I wanna get the negative space around my key sections of text down first. So if I'm creating a blog, that's obviously gonna be the left-hand side. That's gonna be not only the space around the the text box itself on the left side but also the actual margin and padding the line height the font size all of that stuff getting that down first and getting that right first so i always want to, i always like to start with the text once i have the text then i actually i like to go the opposite and span out big to the whole thing and work on the overall layout Because now I have my text sections, my important key text sections down. Now I can get an idea of the overall layout and how I want it to look. How I want the negative space to work. What I want above the fold. What can go below the fold, etc. Once I have the layout down, then it's the imagery. And if there's video, the videos. Those are often key parts of a design. I put those in um, where they're going to go and again get the negative space around those right and then i then after that the rest i just i put it into the category of the rest whatever's left kind of just falls into um the rest of the design and really at that point if you've got your text you got your layout you got your imagery everything else is going to kind of fit in where it has to so that's the process that i use when i when i go through dealing with Really, the design as a whole and and implementing the white space into that now, there's a couple kind of things that you wanna you really wanna look at first off, when it comes to negative space, consistency is important, meaning if you have an image, you don't wanna have a padding on the top of or you don't wanna have ten pixels of white space on the top, twenty on the bottom, thirty on the right, and fifteen on the left. that's just gonna look crazy. Right, so now, in the grand scheme of a of a whole design, there may be you, you there may be reasons why you would have different uh different kind of margin and padding around it so that it looks symmetrical within the overall design, so understand what I'm saying there, but you want it to look consistent all the way around you want it to look like it has the same white space or negative space all the way around it. And so having that consistency is a huge thing. Also symmetry, right? So as much as possible, you want to ha- try to have symmetry within your designs. Now there is kind of a school of thought, or there's an approach that you can take that actually bucks that trend that is purposefully asymmetrical, right? Now that takes some time to master, um because it's you know it's going against kind of a tried and true principle, and you really have to get it right. So there, there again, there are exceptions to that, but for the most part, keeping things symmetrical, you know, you're, you if you have two images side by side, making sure they're the same size, making sure they have the same negative space around them, and so forth. That that stuff is consistent, or that stuff is important because it helps build an overall pleasing, an elegant, clean feeling website. Uh, clean feel for your clients and again as I said over time it's just it's going to be a feel that you'll develop for it the the big thing is really to pay attention to it if you pay attention to it and look at other designs you'll start to get a feel for it now there's two things uh, two links I want to point you to here Again, you can find the links over at slash 59. That's the show notes page. The first is uh, Pearsonified's calculator for text. Now, what's cool about this tool is you can enter how wide your particular text area is. So, if you have, again, say a blog layout, the left hand side, you know how wide that's going to be. You can enter that in and you can enter in your desired characters per line, how many characters per line you want. Because if you have, if you start getting too many characters per line it's going to start to look cluttered if you have too few then it'll just looks weird and uh, it's hard to read. So you need to get a good balance. I usually go around 65 characters per line. I think that's a fairly standard um number but th- there's some there's some give and take there, but you can enter how wide your um text area is, how many characters per line you want and what it'll spit out is what font size and line height you should use in order to to achieve the best look according to what's called the golden ring, which you may have heard before. So it's a really handy tool for identifying the, the proper font size and line height for your text, depending on what size of text box it's going to be put into. Now, again, it's not a hard, fast thing. You know, you don't want to have four necessarily you don't necessarily want to have like four different sizes of text throughout your site. It may start to look weird, but it'll give you a good idea of what your main text size could be. Uh, you can play with some different values, what looks good to you, and it'll give you the exact font size and line height that you need. So that's the first tool. The second one is the tutorial that I mentioned earlier over on Tuts Plus uh, about using negative space in your design. So I'll link to, over to those on the show notes page for this episode, com slash 59. Coming up next, we're going to talk about how to get in the freelance groove after the holidays. I don't know about you, but I was feeling it there a little bit uh, after these holidays. I was really kind of pushing hard at the end of last year. And when I got some time off, I admittedly crashed pretty hard. Uh, and so getting back out of that has been a little bit of a grind, but I'm getting there. And so I want to talk about some things that you can do to help you get through that. Uh, and going to be referencing an article from Freelancers Union Union that I recommend you read. All right, so that's what's coming up next. And, of course, later we'll be getting into our web development Q&A as always. You're listening to John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. So I just realized something, I'm always harping on how important creating blog content is for getting new clients to your web design business. But what if you don't have a blog and you're not sure how to get one set up? Well, don't worry because I've just created a new tutorial on how to start your blog in less than 15 minutes. So in less than 15 minutes from now, you could have your blog up and running and creating content that's going to help you attract new clients for your web design business. In order to take this tutorial, you want to head on over to JohnsbloggingTutorial.com. Again, that's JohnsbloggingTutorial.com. Head on over and let's get your blog started today. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, John I'm your host, John Morris. This segment, we're going to talk about how to get back in the freelance groove after the holidays. So this was a an article that I came across over on freelancersunion.com. I'll link to the article on the show notes page, John slash fifty nine. And again, talks about how to get back in the groove after the holidays. And <laughs> you know, if you're like most of us, you probably maybe have put on a few pounds. Uh maybe. Veged out a little bit over the holidays, and now are trying to figure out how to trying to get yourself back into that groove, and you know may have had some work that kind of piled up a little bit, uh, and just gotta kind of get back into it. So there's a couple things this article talks about, and I agree with most of the stuff. Um, you know, there's a maybe a little bit different take on some of the stuff, but. So there's really three things that they talk about in terms of getting back in the groove. The first one, which I a hundred percent agree with, is getting organized. So taking some time to reorganize yourself. I always like to do this over the holidays or if I take vacation the last maybe day or so, I like to change something up. Because what I found is that if I if I have my whole setup my desk every everything uh that I do in terms of my my work if I leave it and it's the same when I come back, it kind of feels i don't know it just feels it feels a little bit harder to get back in the groove but if I change something up and I come back, it feels kind of fresh and so it 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 feels a little bit easier for me to get back into it because I'm excited about. I want to try out the new, you know, the new layout or the new thing that I got or whatever. And so it's a little bit easier to get excited about it. So, and I, as a part of that, I like to try and always, you know, there's usually things if you're like me by the end of the year that you've kind of let sit and I like to tackle those things right at the beginning of the year and get them off my plate. It feels good. It feels refreshing and kind of helps me uh, get going. So I actually reorganized, I actually moved my desk. I did some re reorganizing, um, cleaned up some things that had been kind of sitting on my desk for a little bit, uh, and helped me get back into the swing of it. So reorganizing yourself or getting yourself organized is really the first thing. And, and probably the biggest thing because it helps you kind of hit, hit like a reset button, uh, so that you can get back into it. The next thing is to be prepared for some disarray. Here's the reality. Your clients are probably going to be more disorganized than you are, right? They're going through the same thing. They've probably been on vacation and so forth. And there's a good chance that they're going to be disorganized as well. And so you can't let that get to you. You can't let it get you down. And you have to embrace the fact that your clients, they may be you know, shaking off some of those post-holiday cobwebs as well. So, you want to expect that there's going to be some disruption in your normal workflow, in what you're used to doing. So, be prepared for that. Get yourself organized, get yourself ready, but be prepared that your clients may be disorganized a little bit. Now, I'm probably not supposed to say this, but some of the advantage of that is is oftentimes your clients being disorganized can maybe give you a little bit more time because they're not necessarily hitting you with things as hot and heavy as they would be, say, the middle of the year. And so it kind of gives you a little bit of time to ease back in into things a little bit. So uh, just be prepared for that. Don't let it overwhelm you or get to you. The last thing then is... Usually during the holidays, and I know this is true for me, you gain some perspective. I know every end of every year, the holidays, with all the things that are going on in the new year and all the talk of that you see on TV or with other people about new year resolutions and enjoying the holidays and so forth, it always gives me a little bit of perspective and stepping away from the desk for a little bit helps me to kind of get reacquainted with what's important in my life and helps to ground me a little bit. And what you want to do is you want to you take that and, and notice that and figure out if there's a way that you can incorporate some of the things, some of the perspective that you gained over the holidays into your new year and into the work you're doing going forward. You know, for me, a lot of times what I always come back to in a, in everything, but especially over the holidays, is just my kids. You know, I have a 8-year-old, a 3-year-old, um, a 15-year-old, and a 14, well, soon to be 14-year-old. Uh, and so... I don't always get as much time with them as I was I would like. And over the holidays then, because I've kind of blocked off that time and I'm not doing anything, I get to spend more time with them and it helps kind of reinvigorate me. And so that was one of the things this year going into the year that I said I wanted to try and do more of is to incorporate them into what I'm doing. Now, I'm not necessarily saying anything that you might see, but just having them more involved with me and on a daily basis and maybe not going caveman so much because it helps invigorate me. And so I've tried to do that a little bit more uh, starting off this year because it helps keep me going. So whatever that is for you, usually over the holidays, you gain some perspective. Try to incorporate that into what you're doing because it can help give you an extra jolt that maybe wasn't there before and can help you kind of get back into the groove a little bit, bit easier. So again, the the article over on Freelancers Union has some great tips in it as well. Those are kind of my take on the things that they outlined there. But uh, you'll def- definitely want to check that out uh, and see what they have to say over there. It's a really good article that I would highly recommend. So you can get the link to that over at johnmorrisonline.com slash 59. All right, coming up next, we're going to get into our Q&A. I'm going to be answering questions that you sent in to me, just like we do every week. All right, so that's what's coming up next. You're listening to The John Morris Show on johnmorrisonline.com. Hey, quick question for you. Are you running a WordPress site? If so, then I want to recommend to you the premium WordPress hosting service, WP. Now, what makes WP Engine different than a lot of web hosts out there is that it's designed specifically for WordPress with advanced caching and security implementation to keep your WordPress website up and running and running as fast as possible. And we all know how important speed is on the web these days. So if you're running WordPress and you don't have WP Engine yet, Be sure to give it a look. You can get their best price at johnmorrisonline.com slash WPEngine. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash WPEngine, all one word. Check them out. You're going to love your WordPress hosting. Welcome back to the John Morris Show, johnmorrisonline.com. I'm your host, John Morris, and in this section... We're going to be going through our weekly web dev Q&A. So I'm going to be answering questions that you have submitted now. Before I get into the questions, if you have a question that you'd like for me to answer on the show, you can shoot me an email over at john at johnmorrisonline.com. Just put question for the show in the subject line, and I'll be sure to check those first because I do get a lot of email, as I've alluded to. All right, you can So you can email me there or you can send me a tweet, uh, message over on Twitter at JPMorris or leave a comment on the YouTube channel and so forth. So with that said, let's go ahead and dive into the first question. So this is kind of a statement but alludes to a question that I, I think is important I want to answer. So it says, the biggest problem I have is that I feel like I'm so behind. I'm going to be 40 this spring and people are so far ahead. I don't want to spend the money to... When I know there's enough stuff out there available without school loans. So I've been asked this kind of several different times in several different ways relating to age and, you know, can I learn? Is there enough time left for me to learn web development? Can I catch up and so forth? So the reality is, is you're not as far behind as you think you are. And other people aren't as far ahead as you think they are. And that really is true. because, And here's why. At first, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to learn. But it's fairly easy and quick to learn because it's some of the foundational stuff. So you can learn it really, really fast. And it's the stuff that you'll use day in and day out. As you get further along in your career... The stuff that's out there to learn is less and less, it's usually harder to learn, and it's usually stuff that isn't something that you're necessarily going to use on a daily basis. So what happens is, is a lot of web developers very quickly go through a you know a ton of material, learn a lot of new things, and then they reach a point where it kind of slows down dramatically. Because they've learned everything that they need to learn in order to actually build things on a daily basis. And now they're at a point where it's just about executing. Now, there's always new things to learn. We kind of talked about this in one of the earlier sections about there's always so many things out there to learn. But, it's again, it's like I alluded to before. You have to filter a lot of that stuff. A lot of that stuff you don't need to learn. Right? So... Uh, You're not as far behind as you think you are, especially if you realize that you don't have to learn everything that's out there. I don't know everything that's out there. There's a lot of things that I do not know. And that's okay because there's a lot of things that other people do not know as well. So you're not as far behind uh, as you think you are and you can learn it much more quickly than you probably think you can. So 40 you're well within the range of being able to make the, you know, the rest of your career doing web development, All right? So, and I agree with you, you know, there's, okay, a little bit of a mini rant. There's absolutely no reason to spend thousands and thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars going to a college to learn web development. Now, if you, if you know that you want to go to college, you, just, you want to go, you want to get the experience, and you're fine with the debt that you're likely going to have, hey, that's your choice. But there's nothing that says that you have to go to school to learn web development. In fact, I would argue that you probably learn quicker and better outside of school because a lot of the best training that's out there isn't in for web development isn't in colleges and universities it's on sites like Udemy and Lynda and Coursera and so forth so absolutely no reason that you have to do that all right next question i am ready and now willing to become a professional developer what fun- fundamental steps do i need to take now what struck me about this is the word fundamental, because I've probably answered this in a number of different ways before, but when you say fundamental steps do I need to take, that strikes me as a little bit different. So I think there's a couple things. First and foremost, there's, there's this whole area of mindset that you really have to, a fundamental step that a lot of people ignore that you really have to tackle. And that, that mindset or that approach encompasses things like, I like to use the phrase, there is no magic because a lot of web developers, especially new web developers or clients will, I used to do this all the time. Something would go wrong with my code and I'd be like, well, I'd start to think in magic terms, like it wasn't my code. There's something else going on. It's not my code. I've checked it and then i'd sit there for 2 hours all going through all this other stuff and come to find out it was a semicolon in my code right so there is no magic <laughs> it's your code that's the problem most of the time so that's one of the mindset things another one of the mind th- the mindset things just deals with confidence right and understanding that it comes from competence And that the way that you're going to feel confident about what you're doing is to practice over and over and over again. And that confidence in one area doesn't necessitate confidence in another one. So if you get really, really good at the technical skills, that doesn't mean when you go to freelance, you're going to be really, really good at working with clients or getting clients. It's a whole different skill set. So um, just again understanding some of that mindset stuff is really the first big thing and and frankly getting over the idea this whole idea of i still get people who do this i mean i i wish i i may even try to do this to calculate how much free costs you because only have only being willing to take free tutorials will cost you a lot of money because it's just going to take you longer to learn. And that's money you could have been making had you invested a little bit in yourself. Here's the thing. Most people don't invest in themselves, not because they don't have money. It's because they don't believe in themselves. They're not willing to invest in themselves. Get over that. Get over it. Start practicing, invest in yourself You can do it. It doesn't take a genius. I am no genius, believe me. Just ask my brothers, they'll tell you. (laughs) You can do it. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your upbringing was. I don't care what grade you got in school. You can do it. So get over it. Invest in yourself. Learn as fast as you can uh, because it's going to save you a ton of money. So that's again some of the mindset stuff. So, tackling that, obviously, you need to tackle the technical stuff. The important thing with that is that you need to, you really need to, as quickly as possible, try to identify your niche the thing that you love to do that you can be really, really, really good at that other people will pay you for. Now, the way to do that is you are going to have to dabble at first. You're going to have to dabble in a number, a number of different things, always keeping an eye on what do I have a natural knack for? What do I just naturally love doing? And is it something that people will pay me for? Now, in the web development industry, if you're building stuff then chances are somebody's going to pay you. There's people out there that'll pay you for it. So that's maybe less of a concern, but you always want to keep an eye towards it. But you really got to find what you love doing because if you find what you really enjoy doing, and again, in the web development niche specifically, because we already know that the niche itself is profitable, right? If you find something that you really enjoy doing, you'll usually put in the time to get really, really good at it. And again, because of the field that we're in, There is likely plenty of people out there that will pay you to do that thing. So, and then that's important because you don't, there's so many skills out there to learn. You need to learn the skills that are required for your niche first. And this is a, I've gone back and forth with people on this a bunch of times, but you don't need to learn everything out there at first. You can over time. But the things you need to learn first are the specific skills that are required for you to deliver the thing that you're going to deliver as a part of what you love to do. Okay, so an example. I build membership sites. That's what I enjoy doing. It's what I'm good at. There's a certain set of skills that go with that. It's not all 2 million skills that are out there available for web developers. It's a certain core set. So if I were starting over, I learned this the hard way. So if I were starting over, I'd focus on the skills specifically related to that first. And then over time, I'd learn everything else. So if I needed to switch niches, or maybe I could learn something that would bring more value to what I'm already doing, then I can do that. But you need to get off of, if you're not working as a web developer full time, If you have another job or something else that you're doing, that's taking up. That's your biggest time suck. So you need to get rid of it. And the way to get rid of it is to figure out your niche, master those skills, start delivering for clients and getting paid to build stuff for clients. Then that'll free up the time for you to be able to learn other things that you can then add value to what you're already doing. Right. So those are some of the fundamental steps that I would take. Those are two really, really, really big ones um, that I would take. I know that's probably not what you're expecting. You're going to expect me to probably say, well, HTML than CSS. Yeah. But those other things are really more important. Uh, you may not believe me now, but as you go, you'll, you'll come to find out that those are probably the more important things. All right. Last question of the week. Then my problem is I'm very slow at programming. When I face a coding problem, I go to I go to Google, parentheses, everybody does maybe. I read tutorials and sometimes they make make me crazy and I can't accomplish tasks fast. That's my problem. I'm afraid that I can't work in a fast corporate environment. I am too slow in coding. I don't think practice can help me improve. I'm just getting scared that coding is not for me. So my answer to that is stop it. Stop it. I'm guessing that you're still learning, obviously. And, I mean, look, I'm not I'm not a fast coder. I'm not. That's actually part of the reason why I don't, when I do tutorials, I don't write the code as I do the tutorial. Because I'm not a fast coder. I got big fat fingers. <laughs> and I make a ton of mistakes when I type because I'm always bumbling over the, the keys. Right? I'm not a fast coder. Now, you say I'm afraid that I can't work in a fast corporate environment. Maybe not, so don't work there. Nothing requ- necessitates that you have to work in a fast-paced corporate environment. It, to, to be honest, from reading this, I get the impression that you don't wouldn't really even want to. So don't. You don't have to. There's plenty of other things that you can do in web development, you can freelance. You can work at a slow pace co- corporate environment. You could work, you know, you could work remotely, where you don't have someone standing over top of you making you nervous. And you still have to deliver on time, but you can, you know, you can tell people this is when I can get it done, right? So you don't have to do that. And we all think we're we all. I don't know anybody that says, "Oh yeah, I'm, pff, I'm super fast." I'm amazing. I'm so fast of a coder. right? Like We all think deep down. I mean, there's probably some people that say that on the surface, but they don't really believe it. Deep down, we all think we're worse than we are. So just stop. You're fine. The most important thing is that you don't give up. The one mistake that I regret more than anything else that I made is I gave up for about a year. And that'll set you back further than anything else. It feels to me like you really want to do this. You really want to be a coder. That's all that matters. The speed will come if it needs to. So I wouldn't even worry about it. And yes, we all do look things up on Google. I don't care what any other developer tells you. We all look stuff up on Google. Every single application I've ever made or will ever make, I will look something up on Google. I promise you. So, it's okay. You can do it. Just keep at it and don't give up. All right, so that'll wrap it up for our Q&A. That'll also wrap it up for this episode of the show. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, if you have questions, you can send your questions to john at johnmorrisonline.com. Just be sure to use the subject line, question for the show. I'll read those first, obviously. Of course, you can also send me a message or tweet me over on Twitter, at JPMorris, and I will also look at those. If you'd do me a favor, if you like this episode, be sure to like the episode so that I know that you like this kind of material. And also, if you would do me a favor and share it with the people or communities that you think would benefit from it, I would greatly appreciate that allow me to be able to reach more coders and help them down their coding path. So I'd appreciate that. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the the show. You can do that over on iTunes at johnmorrisonline.com slash iTunes or SoundCloud, johnmorrisonline.com slash SoundCloud, or of course, YouTube slash YouTube. So those are the different places that you can subscribe. So be sure to do that. All right. Appreciate you listening to this week's show. Hopefully you got a ton out of it and I'll talk to you next week. Hey everybody, here's a quick one for you. We all know how important creating blog content is to attract new clients to your web design business, but oftentimes those first few members of your audience can be difficult to get. Well, I want to help try and get you over that hump and help you get your first few followers. Now, I have an audience of over 20,000 YouTube subscribers, email list subscribers, and roughly 30,000 visitors to my website each and every month, and I'd have no problem promoting your website to that audience and helping you get those first few visitors. Now, to get the details on this, you'll have to head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity, but you'll need to do it before you actually start your blog. So, head on over to johnmorrisonline.com slash publicity, and let me help you get those first few visitors and those first few members of your audience.